A human-centered workplace is defined by the community of the people that are in it, right? And so I mean, all of us in our organizations, we have policies and, and we have guidelines that sort of um, constitute the framework um, that, that define our organizations, but to be truly, truly human-centered, um, you have to put the people at the center of everything you do. And I'll give you an example. I'm working on something now. Um, we're thinking a whole lot about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, uh, and I encourage everybody to do so. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. You know, one of the things that I, I enjoy the most out of my conversations is finding people that have such a deep connection with what, hum, what the meaning of being a human and what humanity is and how we can help humans thrive and succeed and flourish and grow and it's always really refreshing, especially when you see, you know, the world is, you know, a chaotic place and so many things going on. And then you have all these wonderful conversations and you feel a sense of relief that there are great humans out there doing great work. And I am so happy to connect with one of them in this conversation today, Desiree, who is a chief people officer. She's been in the HR space for a while, but more importantly, the work she does is so connected to the why of people, to helping people find meaning, joy, uh, you know, uh, happiness at work. So Desiree is, you know, I'm so privileged to have you with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. And I will say to you, Enrique, it takes one to know one. <laughs> the work that you are doing with Hacking HR is, is remarkable. You're creating this um, this sense of, of generosity and sharing for our community that I have not seen in years past. I think it's been amped up throughout the pandemic um, when we all had to scoot close because nobody knew what to do. And, and you're just building a whole new type of a community for us. And so I'm super grateful to be um, with you today and to be sharing. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. and and. You know, let's let's just begin our conversation by just defining, in your view, what a hu what is a human workplace? I mean, what is a workplace that uh, that centers in the human? And let me let me let me put it in a very pragmatic way. How does it look like for the regular, you know, John Doe and Mary Jane out there in the streets? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question. And I don't think that there is one algorithm. Um, a human-centered workplace is defined by the community of the people that are in it, right? And so I mean, all of us in our organizations, we have policies and, and we have guidelines that sort of um, constitute the framework um, that, that define our organizations, but to be truly, truly human-centered, um, you have to put the people at the center of everything you do. And I'll give you an example. I'm working on something now. Um, we're thinking a whole lot about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, uh, and 
I encourage everybody to do so. <laughs> it's, it's such an important topic for, for organizations right now, um, especially with all that uh, 2020 has shown us. And um, I know that in the past that has often looked uh, like a few people at the top writing out a strategy or a plan um, for, for the coming plan year and then uh, rolling it out to employees and then keeping their fingers crossed and saying, okay, well, we hope we get buy-in and we can push this through. And, and I think um, a different approach works better, um, which is to include stakeholders in the design of such strategies. That is, when you design plan strategies for your people, call your people in ask them, what are your needs? What are your thoughts about this? How do you think we might succeed in you know, reaching goal X, Y, Z? And two things, your job as a leader becomes way easier. And number two, your people are really bought in because yeah. they get to bring their own needs and ideas to the table. And so I use the principles of design thinking a lot in everything that I do in human resources. And it has served me solve bottlenecks, challenges um, again and again and again. And I can give more examples if it's of interest. No, absolutely. I think this is fantastic. And I, I love that you, I mean, in the ecosystem of a workplace, there are like for everything in life, there are rules, there are frameworks, there are processes and policies, but that's just the, uh, um, you know, it's like the building, right? I mean, what makes the building alive is the people that are walking around inside and, and talking to each other and collaborating with each other. And you define that as, of course, you know, the word that defines the work that I do, which is community. And, and I want to ask you this. Uh, very often when I talk about this, I, I say, especially to HR leaders, you got a couple of ways to do this. You either try to create the processes to force those, that community to, to be a community, or you create and architect a way for those, for the communication and the collaboration to happen more naturally, which is more human than forcing the way. Uh, so let me ask you this. How, how do you think we can foster this community and make sure that it's delivering the value for the people and for the organization, but in a very natural way, in a way that doesn't feel like they are forcing me to come to this meeting to collaborate with others. I'm more like, I wanna collaborate with people because that's the way to go. How do, how do we do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think um, it requires a shift in, in how we approach these things and in, a shift in, in thinking all the way from leadership down to the individual contributors, um, which is this idea of um, really coming together as a community with a focus on our mission and our values. Now I work for an organization, Ginger, um, that is very, very mission-driven and purpose-driven. And we are fortunately that many of our employees who come in are very purpose-driven. They deeply identify with the mission. Sometimes it's a result of personal experience or somebody, uh, a loved one in their lives that has experienced mental health issues. We're a digital mental health company. And, um, and we use that, I use that as the fuel for such conversations because we care about the workplace so deeply. It's a purpose-driven workplace, right? We also care about collectively defining 
what that place would look like. And everything we do, within everything we do, we look to our values, we look to our mission, and then we identify, identify ways to get there together. That is so powerful. Yeah, 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 it is. It, it, it is powerful. And, and you know, the, the fun thing about this, and it's not fun actually, it's the paradoxical thing about this, Mm -hmm. is number one, the concept of purpose has not uh, has been around for a very long time. It's not something that came out yesterday, right? Uh, in, in neither in the research nor in the, you know, day-to-day -day, uh, sort of uh, jargon that we use in the workplace. And for you and for organizations that are purpose-driven, it, it makes sense not only for the humans that work there, but for the very success of the organization that you are able to tell uh, or to connect, to help people connect what they want in life, their passions with the work that they do, that and they can, there could be a connection in there. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a business right thing to do. And very often you find organizations that seem to say, yeah, but that's not what we're doing here. We're going to do exactly the opposite, you know? <laughs> so, I, you know, I wonder how can we transform mindsets? Uh, how can we help business leaders think differently and not see this as a fluffy, you know, up in the air, kind of like, you know, hippie thing, but as a business imperative, how can we do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, for those who are keeping an eye on their data, who are thinking about this and also keeping an eye on their data, it shows up in your bottom line. Yeah. We all have heard about presenteeism, absenteeism employees who are not fully engaged who don't come into the workplace with a sense of purpose and pride of what what we do and how we do it and the impact that we have in the world are not going to work at the same high octane level as compared to people who are engaged and feel that sense of purpose and that shows up again productivity yeah. in your attrition numbers, in your, you know, uh, absentee data, um, all of those things. Our attrition number through 2020, um, and I talked to some of my colleagues, were so low. Um, and it was a very, very hard year for Ginger. Um, 2020, the spike in demand for mental health care skyrocketed. Yeah. We couldn't staff up fast enough to meet the need. I mean, we did, but it was a hard year and it was a year of a lot of work. And people stayed, they stayed, they stayed because the vision was squarely on our North Star. That is, the world is hurting. We are here, we have the tools. Let's step up, let's do this together. And, and it was meaningful for people. Yeah, I'll add to that. We also had to take care of our people who were doing the work because they were also frontline workers. Yeah. But this idea of I'm being taken care of so now I can give back to the world. Um, again, back to your question is how does it show up in the bottom line? It does. Look yeah. at your numbers. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, one, one thing that I, um, that I love is to see the experience in real life of many of the things that we talk about. Uh, uh, one of them is uh, that you you live you live this uh, uh, every day, which is you can't 
give what you don't have. That's and right. if your employees are not okay, if they are not feeling safe, vulnerable, heard, uh, that they are treated with respect and dignity in the workplace, how can anybody expect that that's what they are going to give to the customers? I mean, that's, that, it's just not possible. I mean, so, so you got to begin by saying, why is my bottom line, my traditional bottom line of you know, financial profits suffering? And you may find excuses all over the place, but just you know, turn the light inside and start looking at yourself and saying, how am I treating my employees? You know, how am I communicating with them? How am I being inclusive or respectful or dignifying uh, you know, as a workplace? Uh, and that's so powerful. So Desiree, we're getting closer to, this time has gone so fast. Um, we're getting closer <laughs> to the end of our podcast and um, want to ask you one last question. I know you're very passionate about the way people work and the human dynamics. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's one word that I know you're, you're very um, you know, intentionally careful and, and, and loving about that word, and it's curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how does this sort of idea of building a workplace that is purpose-driven connects with curiosity? And I ask that question because anywhere you read about the skills for the future, curiosity is always in the top 10 list. Mm-hmm. That that's an interesting statistic. I didn't know that. Yeah, you look at the uh, World Economic Forum, the Institute for the Future, McKinsey, all of them, top ten, top twenty most important skills for the future of work. Curiosity is always in the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, leading with curiosity is absolutely, I think, imperative for today's workplace. And to step into the workplace as a leader in a world where the workplace is changing so fast, where the world is unpredictable, because the truth is, Enrique, there are so many things that we don't know. And I'll kind of tie that back to DEI a little bit, right? And the concept of psychological safety. Um, when, when, When employees feel safe to show up and share with you their perspectives. It gives you a fuller picture as a leader. You better understand what some of the dynamics are in the trenches, at the front lines, in interactions with your customers. So when people feel safe to show up authentically in that way, it invites and elevates voices of all the people in your company and it exponentially amps up our collective intelligence. And I deeply, deeply believe that. How do you create that kind of safety? I think that rests squarely on on your leadership and to encourage your leadership to lead with curiosity, to create the safety for people to say things, sometimes be wrong and then say, oh, cool, Um, (laughs) this went wrong. And what did we learn here? Awesome, let's move forward. How can we do it differently, right? The leaders absolutely have to lead with vulnerability uh, and with curiosity and sort of model that behavior, open up that space and make that space safe for people uh, to step forth. Google did a project, I know you know about it, Project uh, Aristotle, Aristotle, I think yeah. that's what it's yeah. called. It was a four-year project around leadership mm-hmm. and vulnerability and curiosity. It's really compelling, yeah. um, the data that that brought forth. Yeah, no, fasc- fascinating. And, and I appreciate you sharing uh, you know, these insights and these ideas. So Desiree, thank you so much for spending this wonderful conversation with me and with the audience, of course. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Hacking HR Podcast. I will see you all soon. 
Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.